Looking for a yeshiva high school that inspires your son in Torah and Judaism? Looking for a yeshiva high school with an uncompromising general studies academics so your son can pursue any passion he desires? Looking for a yeshiva high school that create leaders in the 21st century? These opportunities are offered daily at Eula Boys High School. As a premier yeshiva high school in Los Angeles, California, our program features serious and inspirational Torah learning from outstanding rabbis, a love for Israel, and an uncompromising general studies program that includes a 21st century focus on STEAM, innovation, and technology, and a strong emphasis on Midot Tovot. To learn more about joining the Eula family or to schedule a visit, Email us at boysadmissions at eula.org and check out our Instagram page at Eula Boys. Eula Boys, where inspiration is reality. So I hope everybody read the poster carefully that today's Yom Kippur preparing. I know everybody before Rosh Hashanah wants to hear Rosh Hashanah stuff, but you could hear online last week's uh, share. It's now an Apple podcast, so you can go through the podcast store on Apple or you could hear it on Yu Torah. But I realize I'm not going to have an opportunity to do anything for Yom Kippur. So, and I like the format of last week's shear, which was, uh, we called it Rosh Hashanah like a boss, which means that you shouldn't go into the holiday not knowing what's going on. You, you should be holding halachically, hashkafically, all the basics that you really know uh, what's happening. And beyond that, to give you also some nice divrei Torah, you should be ready. You go into Rosh Hashanah, you go into Yom Kippur, and you're not like a deer in headlights and le- relying on everybody else just to know what's going on and when and, and how. So when it comes to Yom Kippur, let's just start with uh, some of the halachas that are essential for Yom Kippur. So the minog on Yom Kippur is to do kaparas before Yom Kippur, using chicken or money. According to the Mekubalim, it should be done done before dawn on air of Yom Kippur. That doesn't seem to be the prevalent minog in America too much. It's more an Israeli type thing to do that. Um, the postkim have also said it can be done any time during Aseris Yemei Tshuva. So sometimes Arab Yom Kippur is hard for people. I know they're rushing all of a sudden before you know it, it's about to begin. People have anxiety about fasting as well. And I'm worried about, did they do the kaparas or not? Did they get the coins ready and all that kind of stuff? Um, we assume a pregnant woman should do kaparas with two hens and one rooster, but just extra coins. You'll see in the Sidurim, the article Sidurim print as to what a person should be doing specifically. And it's proper to give the kaparas the, or the monetary value, the monetary equivalent, give it to tzedakah. So, for example, after using you know quarters or whatever you're going to use to be able to do the kaparis before Yom Kippur, you read the formula, you do the kaparis, that money should right away be put into the tzedakah box. Just put it away as tzedakah. And a postkim also says should not be deducted from your regular miser giving, your tenth, your tithing of your money. Don't include this in that. This is a separate gift. This is a separate, there should be clean and free money that's separate from any other charitable, charitable usage. Uh, we know that Yom Kippur is mechaper. It atones for you. Itzumo shal Yom mechaper. The essence of the day is mechaper, but it doesn't atone for you for things that you've done ben adam lechavero. But adam lechaveros, you're only going to help from that until you ask the person for mechila. You have to go over and ask the person for mechila. And asking for mechila should ideally be done in person. We can say it's hard and uncomfortable. The harder and more uncomfortable it is, the greater the level of the mechila of the intensity, because the idea is about making yourself available for that mechila, and the very process of having to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness is where the mechila comes from, is where how it gets cleaned for you. Um, and therefore, um, that's what you try to do. Do you then go through the avera of what you've done? What if it will embarrass the other person? They don't know you did this. What if you're gonna, you mention it, you're going to embarrass them? This is a famous, uh, when the uh, Chafetz Chaim was printing his famous Shmir Salashen Sefer, 
So he went to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter for a haskama. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter didn't want to give him a haskama because they disagreed on one major uh, issue. Is, do you say something? Because on one hand, you need mechila. You need to get forgiveness going into Yom Kippur. But on the other hand, you mentioned something in there. You're going to embarrass the guy. The whole point is to make the guy feel better. And now you're going to make the person feel worse. So we assume, bottom line is, we don't specify to a person what you did if it's going to embarrass them. Leave it alone, you know, or find a creative way to ask for forgiveness from them. But you don't need to go into something that will just create more trauma for the other person just so you feel better um, about yourself. Um, there are five classic inuyim, afflictions, that have to be observed in Yom Kippur. Number one, no eating or drinking. Uh, number two, no putting of lotions on the body. Number three, no wearing leather shoes. Number four, um, no washing. By the way, the only washing that's prohibited is for pleasure. So to remove some dirt that might be on your hands, um, you could put the water on the spaces of the dirt to remove, clean your hands after a bathroom. You're not supposed to be non-hygienic on Yom Kippur. It's just supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, using water for pleasurable purposes or non-removal of dirt is the Isser. And marital relations is the fifth uh, of the Inuyim. So there are five Inuyim, five restrictions on Yom Kippur. Those are the primary uh, restrictions on Yom Kippur. There's a mitzvah to eat Arab Yom Kippur. Favorite mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to eat Arab Yom Kippur. Mishnah Brewer says... Uh, you eat one meat meal. The minigas eat one meat meal in the morning and another one in the afternoon. That's not a hard and firm minig. doesn't seem like most people even have that minig um, here as well. And uh, But I'm just pointing out that he mentions that. But the point is to to have meals in honor of the day. Just as there's a mitzvah to fast on Yom Kippur, there's a mitzvah to partake of, of meals on Erev uh, Yom Kippur. Uh, we finish eating on Erev Yom Kippur well before sunset. Don't wait right to the line. Just finish safely before sunset. So we can look up. We can do right now is figure out. For those listening, this is the local Los Angeles time. Maizmanim. Here we go. Um, Maizmanim.com. Anybody know what date Yom Kippur is? Uh, let's go to change date and let's guess that it's around uh, 10, 12. We'll assume it's the 6th, 17th. I think it's the 18th. 18th? Uh, here no, we go. Uh, no. The 18th at night. 18th at night, yeah. Okay, so that means sunset is 6.55. So when should ideally stop eating uh, Arab Yom Kippur to have what's called Tosefis uh, Atzom, to add on to the Yom Kippur. You add on to the Yom Kippur by taking it in a little bit early, and therefore you stop eating 6.55 p.m. Um, just be careful of that because sometimes it gets confusing. Some of the shuls put the cold nidre after that or during it. Just, just look at – you now have your time. You just look at sunset, and that's when you really should stop eating by sunset. Um, we have that final meal, and that final meal is called the pseudomafsekis, the closing meal. Um, again, that thing of whether it should be just one dish and nothing more, that's a Tisha B'Av question. It's not a Yom Kippur. Remember, Arab Yom Kippur, big, big meals, lots of food, Arab Yom Kippur. Um, so that's the idea, pseudomafsekis. Uh, you should not be eating after you pseudomafsekis. Everybody does because they want that last cup of water, whatever it is. So what you do is you have in mind uh, before benching that you're going to continue to perhaps have a couple things uh, before sunset. Um, okay, those are the basic halachas that everyone needs to know for Yom Kippur. That's a review of the halachas. There's not, Rosh Hashanah is much more extensive and complicated, as we said with the Shechianus and the Simonim um, and things such as that. Now, tefillah, the davening. What do you need to know about the davening? So again, we're doing halacha, the tefillah, and then we'll do the golden golden nuggets for Yom Kippur. Good, good, like nice divrei Torah, quick, quick fire, rapid fire divrei Torah to know for Yom Kippur. So if you forget, you have to be very careful. Look in your Sidurim. Read them carefully because it has HaMelech HaKadosh. 
Hamelach Hakadosh in the Shmona Esrei. Couple words we swap out a Kelakadosh into Hamelach Hakadosh, like Rosh Hashanah. If you forget to say it, you repeat the Shmona Esrei. Um, you have some lines in there that don't need repetition. For example, there's a melech hamishpat. If you say that, you don't go back. It's a lot of details there too. Uh, we had other additions. We have zochreinu lechayim michamocha. It says it in your sitter for the for the holiday. Follow it. If you forget any of those, you don't have to repeat shmona esrei. Um, so the only one you really need to be cognizant of fully that you need to make sure you nail is the hamelech hakadosh, um, which is at the beginning, near the beginning of your shmona esrei. When uh, vidui should be said, a confessional should be said, Erev Yom Kippur, the best time for women to say vidui, which is the Ashamdu Bagadnu, we've sinned, is what we've done wrong, the best time is after Mincha on Erev Yom Kippur. That's when the men do it. Um, after Mincha, there's a little passage of the vidui at the end of the Shemona Esrei. I would just get yourself a nice art scroll or you know a, a good machzer, a Koran machzer of Yom Kippur, Right in there, they'll have a special mincha for the beginning of Yom Kippur. That could be said early in the afternoon when things are a little bit quieter. Might be a good idea. Do it then and finish with a good vidoy. The vidoy is very important that day. You say the vidoy standing up, a little bit bent over. Um, it's also proper for us to all say tefillah zaka. This is one of the most beautiful prayers, a prayer about asking for forgiveness, uh, forgiving others, and um, hoping we didn't miss anyone, to defend anyone. It really... The words themselves really open up uh, what mechi- what tshuva is really about, is nailed in that tefillah zaka. The problem is, this is the problem with this prayer. It's like as though it was like the best kept secret because they stuck it right before kol nidre. So the only time to say it is really before services begin on Yom Kippur night. And everyone's running into shul. Where'd they put this? Did they drink the last water? Where'd you put the keys for after Shabbos? Everybody's running around like a chicken without a head, Erev Yom Kippur, and that paragraph gets just swallowed up and nailed. If, any, if half the people don't say it, and those who do don't have time to focus then. I prefer that we all just say Tefillah Zaka earlier in the day. Just when you have a few moments, open up your Siddurim, say the Tefillah Zaka quietly and calmly, and that should be, that, that's the appropriate time to say it. That's really the appropriate time to say it. This way you can focus on it. The last thing you need to know halacha-wise that I think before we get into Yom Kippur Golden Nuggets is the Havdalah of Motzei Yom Kippur is different. The Havdalah we do at the end of Yom Kippur is different in a few ways. Number one, you don't say the Hine, but you just start with the Bracha on the wine or the grape juice. You don't use Basamim, you don't use spices. You make a Bracha on fire, but you don't make a Bracha on a fire that was lit at the end of Yom Kippur. The Bracha should be set on a fire that was lit before Yom Kippur and left the entire day. So if you have a Yurtzeit candle in the house, if somebody has um, a, a flame for, you, you should leave a, a fire for this for this purpose. People forget that, don't realize that. You should leave. That's why if you look in Yom Kippur in Shul, almost all the Shuls will have by the by the Amid where the person davens, the Chazan, a little candle with a flame. It's not a Yurtzai candle. Shul's not doing Yurtzai for anybody. It's, 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 so you have a prepared fire for after um, Yom Kippur. So that's the way to, uh, that's the way to do it. You could light a candle also from a gas flame that was on from before Yom Kippur, you know, if your pilot is on. So you could just use that um, if you didn't prepare anything else. But don't suggest leaving it on all, uh, all Yom Kippur. Okay, so those are the uh, halachas, those are the tefillahs. What I want to do now with you is share with you some uh, good usage, divrei Torah, uh, for Yom Kippur itself. So I know the women don't do this, but 
they'll all notice it, and it's just good to think about this dichotomy because it's very much a Yom Kippur dichotomy. Number one is the kittel. Okay, the men in synagogue all wear this white uh, garb, this kittel. There are two reasons that are quoted in the commentaries. One, that it's like we're angels. And two, it's like the shrouds that we put on our body when we're dead. We're supposed to wear the most simple thing when we're buried. And you're buried. A man is buried in his kittel. So those are way extreme opposite ideas. Beautiful angelic people or dead people, like the way they're going to be buried. There's such an extreme uh, difference between the two interpretations why you wear the kittel. So too, this whole theme makes sense because the very essence of the day, these inuyim, these afflictions that we talked about, the five afflictions, what are the reasons for them? So the classic reason is that you suffer a little bit. Everything should be pleasurable this day. You feel it. You know, you get into it. You feel it a little more. That fits with the dead thing, right? But the other reason the Ramban says is because it makes us more angelic when we divest ourselves of all this physical stuff. So you have that dichotomy working both ways, whether in the Inuyim of Yom Kippur or whether in the Kittel that we wear on Yom Kippur. Also, there's two goats that are taken on Yom Kippur. If you read the part in the Siddur that's based on the Chumash about the two goats, one goat is offered to God, one goat is pushed off a cliff. Seir Azazel. It's both that gruesome you know, death thing and that life to life, you know, L'chaim. You have that dichotomy also in there as well. So that's the point. It's not, it's not a contradiction. Angelic means to separate the most basic part of yourselves and elevate. And that's ultimately what the end of the life is. You're, 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 it's a removal of all physicality and elevation. So that's why you have sort of these conflicting images of what Yom Kippur is supposed to be. Okay, next. After you have the Kittel and Shul, one of the opening lines the cantor says before the Kol Nidre is Or Zarua Latzadik. He'll say out loud, A light has been sown for the righteous. Or Zarua Latzadik. I want to tell you a story. They use this as a story. So there's a story of the Midler Rebbe, one of the Lubavitch Rebbe's, that in the town, the Russians were um, taking Jews and throwing them into prison for ransom to, to stockpile. And one Jew was thrown into prison shortly before, shortly before Yom Kippur. And a fellow Jew in town was going to do everything he could to raise money to be able to free this Jew from prison before Yom Kippur so he could be with his family and come to Shul. And he's trying to raise the money and it's nothing. He's getting a little bit. How much does the Jews, you know, Jews living in Russia, especially the religious Jews, um, weren't involved in, you know, much successful business at the time. So in the Pale of Settlement especially, they didn't have much. So he decides he's going to go into the tavern because he knows there's a few wealthy, enlightened Jews who are there. They, they are a little more well-to-do, a more upper class. So he goes into the tavern and he meets one person who says, I'm not giving you a dollar for this. I'll make you a deal. You take a shot with me. We'll go drink for drink. Every drink you take, I'll give you another few more rubles. So he goes shot for shot with him, few more rubles, few more rubles. It's not nearly enough. He keeps going, he keeps going, keeps going. Takes the whole amount, drops it in front of the prison. They let the Jew out for him, Kipper. This Jew who did this, is all over the place. He can't even see straight. He's spinning. He stumbles into Shul, right, in the middle of Orzarua Latzadik, Kol Nidre, the holiest night of the year, Yom Kippur, and he's screaming out loud, 15 rubles Atarasa! You know, if it is in Shul Simcha Torah, we do bidding for the different honors to open the ark and to say different phrases, and he screams, 15 rubles Atarasa! And the Rebbe's giving his words right now of encouragement, and everyone's screaming at him, stop it! And he's giving 35 rubles out to Reza. 
and everyone's screaming, get out of here, you're nuts, you're making a mockery. The Rebbe claps on the bima and gets up and says, if you only knew what he spent his time doing this last few days, you'd understood he doesn't need, he doesn't need Kol Nidre. He's already holding by the end, by Atah Reza, by Simchas Torah. That's the story of the middle of the Rebbe. Next, then we get to Kol Nidre. Everybody's coming to davening, waiting for this holy prayer. The most famous of all Jewish prayers, Kol Nidre. And what are they getting there? This whole prayer, when you read the words, it's about vows and annulling vows. a technical legal paragraph um, about annulling vows. Why is that the most potent and the holiest prayer of the year? So listen to this uh, thought that I heard from the Kalavar Rebbe. I once had the opportunity to meet the Kalavar Rebbe. He was staying um, in Los Angeles when I was young and uh, right outside our house in Martell. He was staying by Rabbi Halberstam. So I went to go meet him before Shabbos, and I shook his hand, and he froze. And he's one of those types of Rebbe's who they say knows everything about you when he looks at you and all that. So he's just free, frozen, just stared at, staring at me. So I'm nervous. What he's thinking? What does he know? What does he not know? And all of a sudden, he says, Shal nalecha me'al raglecha. He says to me, remove the shoes from your feet, right? By Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe approached the burning bush. So I'm starting to take off my shoes. This guy thinks he's God or whatever. I'll take off, you know. So he goes, no, 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 stop. He says, I'm telling you something. Shal nalecha me'al raglecha. The word nalecha for shoes is also the same word as na'al, a lock. Lightly nolta delet, lock the door. Shal nalecha me'al raglecha. Remove the shackles from your feet. Ki amakom asher ata omer alav admas kodeshu. Because if you realize that wherever you stand is holy ground, you're free. And the idea there being is that we have this sense we need to wait for Kol Nidre. We need to wait for Ni'ila. We need to wait for this event to be inspired. And he had a very beautiful message. The message is, Shal Nalecha. Once you realize where Amakom Asher Ata Omenalav, wherever you are standing is holy ground, then you could fly. Then you could remove the shackles from your feet. And I think that, when he told me that, I think that's really Kol Nidre. Why is Kol Nidre all about annulling vows and undoing this vow and that promise? Because sometimes we're saddled and burdened by commitments that we made that were not right for us. That just were not right for us. That were not working for us. And we're trying to get out of it. We're trying to fix them. We're trying to repair them. And Yom Kippur saying, now you... Think of the word ni'ila also ties into this. Ni'ila is the same word as nal, nalecha. Yom Kippur is teaching you, leave everything behind. You're going to fly right now. You get to remove the shackles from your feet. And you get to start right now. Okay, that's the Kalavar Rebbe. Then we do the al chait for the sins. We beat our chest and we say al chait, and we say al chait shechatayim bevidoy peh for the sins that we did with confession of the mouth. What's wrong with confession of the mouth? We're supposed to confess with the mouth. We're supposed to do vidoy. I mean, we don't go to a confessional, but we talk it out with God. We do vidoy. What do you mean for the sins that we did with with confessing? So there's a sefer by um, Rav Herschel Reisman, the father of uh, Rav Tzvika Reisman here. So he, he, in his sefer, he has a beautiful interpretation. He says the pshat is that it's doing lip service without any action afterwards. That's what it means, confession of the mouth. God, we're apologizing for confessions of the mouth, for things we said we were going to do and never did them. Right? We never did them. We just said we're going to do it. Or we said we do this. We tell people we do that. But we never truly do them. That's what it means. Al-chet shechatanu v'vidoi pep. Next in our prayers, a famous part of our prayer, we say, Tshuva tefillah tzedakah. Right? Tshuva tefillah tzedakah, mavirinus roa hagzera. We translate it as uh, repentance, prayer, and charity removes the evil decree. So first of all, a famous idea is that those are three mistranslations of those words. Right? Tshuva is not um, repentance, because repentance is 
It comes from penitence, which means to pay back. You're not paying anything back. Tshuva means to shav, to return. You're coming back to yourself, to your authentic self, for what you were supposed to be. Tzedakah is not charity. Charity comes from the word caritas, which means to make right by somebody. No, tzedakah comes from tzedek, righteous, for you to make right by yourself. You to be a good, decent person. And tefillah, right, is not prayer. Prayer is from bakasha, to ask for something. You're not asking. Tefillah means to pilel, to self, to look at yourself, to make an accounting, to take a look inward and to see whether or not um, you've been doing what you're supposed to be doing. So all three, we've mistranslated them to make them something external to ourselves when in fact shuvat, tefillah, tzedakah are all very um, self-reflective uh, words, the three of them. But there's another idea on Shuvat Field stuck on a share with you. So there's a famous question how in the world we could change God's mind? Right? God knows what we need. All of a sudden we're going to repent, and therefore we're going to tell God what's better for us. God, we are, we're going to do this, and therefore you're going to change what you want for us. You, what do you mean? God, we sinned. We did X or Y. We, God wants to punish us. What are we doing with the true? How does this work? How does prayer? It's a question of my prayer. Rav Yosef Albo in his Safari Karm asks, how does prayer work? How are you going to change God's will through your prayer? How does any of this work? So there's a din of a Rebbe, the Bnei Yisachar, who gives the following answer. It's a very fascinating approach. He says that there's a medrash that when that Adam is sitting outside the courthouse, Adam Arishan is sitting outside the courthouse, where Cain, his son, is on trial for killing Hevel. Cain comes out of court, and Adam asks, what happened? He says, well, asiti tshuva v'nispasharti imkoni. I did tshuva and I made a deal with God. I cracked a deal with the DA, right? I cracked a deal, I did tshuva and cracked a deal with God. All of a sudden, the medrash ends where Adam Arishan falls to the ground crying, singing Mizmor Shir Lioma Shabbos. A very strange midrashic teaching. What's it all about? Says the Din of a Rebbe, this is how it works. You might have done something wrong. So, person A God has an issue with person A. They did something wrong. You can't change that. You did what you did. Okay, you hurt someone, you made a mess, you did this. By you doing tshuva, you become somebody else entirely. It's a transformative uh, impact. You convert yourself from person A to person B. So you're not changing God's mind. God still has an issue with person A, but that person's not there anymore. There's a shell over there. It's not there. You've become somebody else entirely. You're no longer that person. And therefore, Kodesh Baruch who no longer has that din with that person, and that's, a, that's how tshuva works, that's how tefillah works. You're not changing God's mind. You're changing who you are by the end of davening. You become a different person. You become a different person. And tzedakah, you're giving the ability for somebody else to start over again, to change the way they live. That's what tzedakah is. You're giving them more life than they had before. And that's the potency and that's the power of, of tzedakah, tshuva tzil tzedakah. And now we know why Adam belted out Mizmor Shirli on a Shabbos. Because what's Shabbos? Shabbos is the chance to renew your week, to start over. You had a tough week, things were not, things didn't go well. Shabbos is the ability to renew all that and reboot your entire week. So another element of Yom Kippur is itsumo shel yom mechaper. The essence of the day atones, right? The essence of the day atones itself. So we have a very interesting phrase in the Talmud. Rabbi Akiva says, Ashrechem Yisrael. Praiseworthy is the Jewish people. Lifnei miatem metarim umi metar eschem. Praiseworthy is the Jewish people in front of whom you purify yourself and who purifies you. That God purifies all of us. Yom Kippur is this day where our Kaddish Baruch Hu is metahir all of us. 
The problem is Rabbi Kiva quotes two verses for that. You never need two verses for the same thing. One pasuk he quotes is, Zarakti Alechem Mayim Tahorim. I throw upon you purifying waters. The second pasuk is, Mikve Yisrael Hashem. Now get both psukim because it's a beautiful idea. The first one is, I've thrown upon you purifying waters. The second one is, Hashem is the mikveh of the Jewish people. Why do I need both psukim to teach me the same idea of purity from God? Says the Sefer Bilvavi Mishkan Evne. Zarakti Alechem, I throw upon you, is tahara, purity from a distance. That's how it works in general. We have a relationship with God, but there's somewhat of a, a gap. And God purifies us. We send out a prayer, and God sends us this like purification. But on Yom Kippur, mikveh Yisrael Hashem. Being in Yom Kippur is like being in the mikveh itself. It's the very essence of the day is the healing waters. It is the ability to purify us. It has this power. You know, there's a great, uh, there's a great story, great anecdote. A lot has been talked about in this anecdote. In Rav Soloveitchik's classic work, um, Halachic Man, Halachic Mind, or Halachic Man, I forgot which one, Ish Halacha, Halachic Man. In his work, Halachic Man, Rav Soloveitchik says he remembers as a child walking out of synagogue um, right by Ni'il, around Ni'ilah time as the sun was setting and his father, Rav Moshe Soloveitchik, or his grandfather, Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, asked him, what do you see? And Rav Soloveitchik said, I see a sun setting. And he said, no. That's not what you see. You see Tahara descending upon the Jewish people. Meaning for Rav Soloveitchik's grandfather and for his family, nature was seen through its halachic beauty. The beauty of the sun setting on Yom Kippur means that when that sun sets, the Jewish people have become clean. And so Rav Soloveitchik said from that moment he realized that how a Jew views life is through the glasses, through the prism of halacha. The beauty of that sunset is in all its rays and its splendor and everything is that the real beauty of it is that in it is going to come the tahara of the Jewish people. You know, there's a, a great illustration that I like using. Um, you go into a store, a glasses store, and you take off the shelf the Picasso glasses and all of a sudden your hand is flipped upside down and uh, you look in the mirror and your nose is upside down, okay? Um, and uh, Or you're all blue. Right, depending which Picasso glasses you pick up, then you put it back, and then you take the, um, then you take uh, who's the one who does the pop art, uh, pop art glasses, and your whole body looks like a, a comic strip, uh, a painting, and then you decide to take the biology glasses off the shelf, and you take them, and all of a sudden you see your molecular cell life, and you don't see your hand, you just see all your cells and all your tissue and everything like that, and the question is, which glasses do you put on? Which glasses, what you choose to see. For Rav Soloveitchik, he's saying the glasses a Jew has to put on is the halacha glasses. You put it on, and all of a sudden a tree is not just a tree, but its ramifications is vast in terms of brachot, in terms of uh, when you could cut from it, in terms of whose property it's on. It has all the halachic paradigms that apply to it, and that's how a Jew observes the world. Okay, at Mincha, let's go now to the Mincha of Yom Kippur afternoon. It's also a lost prayer because people just went home during the break. They didn't get back yet for Ne'ilah. But it's a great tefillah because you have Mafter Yonah then. The book of Jonah is in that section. So the question is, if you look at the laning, the Torah reading during that time, it's, it's the last Torah reading before the end of Yom Kippur. It should be a beautiful, beautiful Torah reading. And it's all about illicit relationships. It's like 
us at our most deviant. It's it's like rock bottom. It's it's the worst. You know, it's like us at our worst. So why are we reading that then? And furthermore, a second question I want to throw in here is at the beginning of, beginning of Yom Kippur, there's a very interesting prayer we say by Kol Nidre. We ask, God, give us permission to pray with the sinners. Are we so good that we need to, like, it's like everyone always, I always joke, you know, whenever I give a speech that's like uh, intense in terms of what I'm demanding from the people, everyone always comes over and says, oh, they needed to hear that. You know, they, they, need, they needed to hear, they all needed to hear it. So we say, you know, God, give us permission to play, pray with these low lives. What you're such amazing. What are you asking for? So I want to take a Dvar Torah by Rabbi Riskin, who's the chief rabbi of Efrat, on the Haggadah, and apply it over here. Rabbi Riskin says, you know, the four sons are just really an analogy for the four parts of our personality. Those who are into psychology could think of Jungian archetypes. Right, You're, you have different archetypes in your personality—the warrior, the princess, whatever that, however you want to break them down. Right, you have all four parts of your personality, and God is asking at the Passover seder, the Pesach seder, bring all of them to the table. I want to see all of them. Okay, you bring it. I want to see your rebellious side. I want to be. I want to see your simple side. I want to see the side that sometimes just doesn't know how to ask a question. I want all of it. The same is true on Yom Kippur, I'd like to suggest, that God wants to see us in our highs and our lows. Be real on Yom Kippur. Bring it all out. I want to see you at your best. You wear your 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 you know your simplest clothing. You're not going to get rid of all the physical stuff. Fasting, your highest level. Angelic, really angelic. But I also want to see what you guys have been up to at rock bottom. Bring your the totality of your personality. That vulnerability needs to emerge on Yom Kippur itself. And that's the permission we're asking on Yom Kippur to pray with the sinner. We're not asking to pray with the, with, with the low, possible low life sitting next to you. You're asking God that, that he should also accept the party that's flawed, that's not perfect, that's selfish, that doesn't think of others. Um, that God should love that part. That we should be entirely um, lovable as well. There's a great line from uh, Lahavdil, from the theologian Chesterton. I hope I get it right. Chesterton said, the lesson of beauty of the beast, the lesson of beauty and the beast is that something must become lovable before it's capable of love. Mm-hmm. Something must become lovable before it's capable of love. And that's we're asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we are, that you, that you love us, that for, for whatever we have, and in that way we're able to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, okay, we're at Ne'ila now. So at the end of Yom Kippur, this is like the big, this is the big moment. Ela Brachos six B. The Gemara says, "Hayotzi mi beit haKneset al gasa." One who leaves a synagogue, don't take, don't take gi- two giant steps. When someone leaves shul in general, you're not supposed to run out of shul. You don't run out of shul. I know you might have another event here, another event there. You want to get home, you don't run out of shul. Looks like you're trying to just get out of davening. That's a rule in general. So Rav Palm was once speaking to his students, and he said to them, "This idea applies here after Yom Kippur." Don't run out. Take the ideas with you. Don't just leave whatever good work you did on Yom Kippur. Don't leave it behind. Take that with you. Utilize it. Use it. Let it make you better. Let it inform you. Let it make you stronger. That's You leave the synagogue. Don't leave too fast. Meaning, metaphorically, don't leave the ideas that you worked on Yom Kippur. Okay? We have Avinu Malkenu on Yom Kippur. And in Avinu Malkenu, we say... Uh, it's a famous song also. Avinu Malkeinu Tehei HaShahazo Tehei HaShahazo Shahazrach I mean, right? This time should be a time of mercy. So Rav Shach, who's known to be very intense, says people always look at this line and they think it's like a nice, uh, it's a nice cute line. 
right? You know, that it should be a, a gear of mer- a time of mercy, God. He says, no, it's the opposite. It's an incredible, this line is an incredible responsibility upon you. Why? Because if this time is a time of mercy that you could just daven and say, God, make this a time of mercy and forgiveness, it's a shas rachamim, then you have no excuse to get your act together. You understand? That line, that, that says Rav Shach, the very essence of what you're asking God to do for you is what's going to create the burden of your responsibility. You want God to be infinitely merciful on a dime and just forgive and let things go? Then it means you have no excuse why you couldn't get yourself together, why you're still beating yourself up. You need to be forgiving right away. You need to let that same feelings uh, wash onto others. You know, we say another Dartar, I'll do another one there, Al-Khait, on the sins that we've done, right? On sins that we've done with eating and drinking. So the typical interpretation is gluttony, but I like the Pshat of Simcha Bunim The Hasidic Rebbe of Simcha Bunim says the classic Pshat here is Al Chet for not having any guests. Not having any guests. That's the idea, um, and the idea is that we need to be cognizant. There are people who need. There are people who are stranded. There are people um, who who need our support, who need our help, and therefore that's who that's who it's referring to. Let me see if I want to give you any more today, or we'll stop there. Um, oh, I love this one. I want to just went for Neila. We'll close this one. Let's close this one. So Neila. So the Amshin of a Rebbe. Everyone knows the Amshin of a Rebbe is famously um, difficult with time. Like time seems to mean nothing over there. I once went to visit the Amshin of a Rebbe. The Gabbai tells you keep your phone on. You can get a call anytime. Got a call 3:12 a.m. The Amshin of a Rebbe is ready to meet you. His morning services take place in the afternoon at 2 p.m. All the times are thrown out of whack. But when it comes to Yom Kippur, of course, he knows exactly when to stop. He knows exactly when to stop. One year, he kept going on with his Suda, and it was getting closer to the deadline. And the Hasidim were getting nervous, and they said, Rebbe, it's, it's almost late. And he looked up and he turned to them and says, a Jew has to live with both feelings. It's spät, but noch yet sight. It's late, but there still is time. That's a great message, that a Jew has to live with both ideals, that it's getting late, you need to keep moving, but you still have a chance. Um, Lahav deal, this is a very big idea now. I know that uh, in... Um, no one's ever done Amshinov and Deepak in the same line but Deepak Chopra has this idea of movement in the stillness I think it's the very same Yisod the idea of being calm being still being very accepting of what you've achieved being uh, not hammering not knocking yourself or hammering yourself but saying this is who I am and God this has to be good enough you have to look upon yourself in that way you have to see yourself as a singular creation in humanity uh, a special you know the apex of creation but at the same time, you also have to know how to move within that. You can't remain stagnant. You have to move from within the stillness. And I think that's the word of it's spate, but not yet sight. It's late, but there still is time. It's late, and you need to get moving, and there's stuff you need to do, and there's people that need your help, but you still have to understand there is still time to take. You're not. It's not all lost. It's not Everything's not, not just gone. I think this is a very... Um, Rav Elia Lopian interpreted the prayer we say in davening, right? Um... We say Masatam Ilfanenu Machreinu, right? We, we return us from the Satam Ilfanenu Uvacharenu. Remove the Satam from before us and after us. 
So what does it mean, remove the satan? Remove the satan from in front of us and before us. So before us, I understand. Remove the satan from before we sin. What's remove the satan from after we sin? So Rebellio Lopion says, before you sin, I get it. But what happens after the sin is you feel like such a failure. Like, I'm, I'm, this is not for me. I'm not good at this. I can't do this. I can't be a great person. I can't. That's the satan after the sin. The satan after the sin hangs around to convince you you're worthless for what you just did. And that's what we ask God to remove. You did it already. It's over. Just let's move on. And it's spate, but not yet sight. Okay, we stop there for today.